the Carson Wentz controversy, are the Browns tanking, and more on your weekday Browns on-demand radio, your Locked on Browns podcast. You are Locked on Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Welcome into Locked on Browns number four podcast. Recording live from a local Panera Bread to talk all things Cleveland Browns as we prepare for week one. So if you hear any noise in the background, that is uh, something that you uh, shouldn't be shocked by. Uh, It's a beautiful day outside enjoying this combination of fall and summer weather that we have going on right now. And so I'm just going to kind of jump right into kind of the two major stories, uh, the talk right now, Um, whether it's because of Labor Day weekend and uh, kind of a lull between the 53-man roster and really the start of the season, or it's because people are always looking for controversy, we start off with the controversial statements made by uh, Browns front office member Paul D. Podesta about Carson Wentz and the fact that the Browns did not see him as a top 20 quarterback. So the first thing that we want to kind of point out there is those statements were made uh, at the end of July. And so whether it's because Wentz is now starting against the Brown in week one, uh, or because of an article that came out by Tony Grossi, which expounded on some of these statements. It's interesting that now these uh, quote-unquote controversial statements have come out and have become a big talking point uh, around the NFL and uh, specifically around the Eagles and the Browns. And so uh, just something that that needs to be addressed. Um, And that's when when media asks for uh, players for front office members uh, to really give them something, to actually say something besides kind of the cliche comments that that they get all the time. When they get these kind of responses, when they get something being called a controversy, um, just because they gave an honest response to a question about a player, you can see why many players and executives decide not to. Dee Podesta moving forward has no real reason to provide anything of substance in his next interview. And the same goes for Hugh Jackson, uh, Sashi Brown, uh, and the rest, uh, Andrew Barry, and the rest of the Browns front office. Why should they say anything to the media if every honest statement, even one as as limited as we don't see this guy as a top 20 quarterback, but we know that, and he even stated, we know that it's our own evaluation, and then we're going to get some wrong. Such an almost innocuous statement is made, and yet tons is made from it. And so it's important to just understand and think through uh, where Pete Podesta is, someone who is evaluating talent at a football level for the first time, uh, but really his responsibilities are organizational, uh, helping the Browns structure work. How do they work together? How do they communicate with each other? How do they uh, stay on the same page? That's really his primary responsibility. And so really at some level, all he is really doing there is he is – parroting some of the things that are being talked about behind the scenes. And so we love that as fans, as media, we love getting some behind the scenes feel for what's going on. And so what that tells us about how the Browns saw Carson Wentz is they saw a player who did not dominate on the division two level. He didn't look like what Steve McNair or even Cam Newton during his junior college time looked like. He looked like a quarterback who at times struggled against his own level of competition, at times struggled with injuries at a a slower, less physical level of football. And so 
when they look at when they look at tape, they see a player who may not dominate on the next level. And so when we're talking about the top 20 quarterbacks, you're talking about a lot of very, very good quarterbacks in the league. And so we know we all know the names up top. We know the Aaron Rodgers and the Tom Brady's and the Drew Brees's and the, the Cam Newton's. But there are a lot of other very good quarterbacks, whether that's Alex Smith uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs or uh, Ryan Tannehill of the Miami Dolphins, who are good quarterbacks, but aren't going to be in that top 10, top 15 tier. And that's really what the Browns are saying. They're saying that when they look at Carson Wentz, they do not see a quarterback who is in that top 10, top 15, or even top 20 tier, someone who can take over games. And so in exchange for someone who they did not see as a top 20 quarterback, they decided to bring in a bunch of picks. And so can you blame a team? Because the theory of relativity says, compared to the rest of the quarterbacks, Carson Wentz looked great. But does that mean he is great? It's like being around a bunch of guys or girls who may not be that attractive to you, but after spending a lot of time with them, theory of relativity says one of them starts to look attractive to you. Or being around a lot of tall people, many of us would feel very short. That's what the theory of relativity says, is that it's all about the relativity factor. In a draft with Cam Newton or Andrew Luck or any of those kind of guys, Carson Wentz may not have gone in the first round. He may not even have gone in the second round. Again, it's all about that theory of relativity, and the Browns looked at that and decided they knew what they believed in Carson Wentz and that he was not going to get into that top 10, 15, 20 level. But again, Dee Podesta was very clear. He understands they're going to make mistakes. The funny thing for Browns fans as years go on, if Wentz is terrible in Philadelphia or is great in Philadelphia, that doesn't automatically mean those two things would have happened, or either one of those things would have happened in Cleveland. And so just because he's terrible in Philly doesn't mean the Browns really made, quote-unquote, the right decision, because in Cleveland with Hugh Jackson and with the weapons the Browns have, maybe Wentz would have been able to be successful, and vice versa. If Wentz is successful in Philadelphia uh, in Doug Peterson's run-happy, short-passing game, screen game, um, then maybe uh, he'd be successful there, but not so much in Hugh Jackson's down-the-field passing game that he seems to want to implement. And so it's important as we look forward that we understand not only the theory of relativity of why Wentz went so high, but also understand that no matter what happens to him in Philadelphia, it doesn't either prove or disprove the decision the Browns made. You want a front office making decisions based on what they believe in, what their evaluations say, not what the rest of the league say says, and not based on the theory of relativity of the other quarterbacks that are available. We'll be right back from a short break. At that time, we're going to talk a little bit about whether or not the Browns are actually tanking or not. Okay, keep your eyes closed. Okay. I want to show you my first ever painting. Ooh, all right. Okay. Open your eyes. Oh, that's a lot of colors mm-hmm. <laughs> and shades. So be honest. What do you think? Well, uh, I like how... If you switch to Geico, you could save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. Oh, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Here, why don't I hold your paintbrush while you call them? Geico, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer. The second big discussion, big conversation piece, uh, was whether or not the Browns are tanking. And so Mark Dominic of ESPN and formerly of the Tampa Bay Bucks used uh, that term and, descri- and compared the Browns to the Philadelphia 76ers 
in the NBA. And so are the Browns tanking? I think the first question is, what is tanking? And so in the NBA, the Sixers are dependent on one of two things. They're either dependent on a free agent deciding to come there, a big-time free agent that they could build around coming to their team like Shaquille O'Neal did, like LeBron James has done both for the Heat and the Cavaliers, or they're dependent on a top-level, top one, two, or three draft pick to really be the identity of their team. And so uh, that's just not true in the NFL. The NFL, you you need first-round picks. Uh, you need them to pan out. You need second-round picks to pan out all the way down the line. And you can find talented players all over the place. You don't have to have a top two, three, five pick in the NFL to get the kind of stud, talented players that you need to turn around a team. The New England Patriots, for an example, have continued to build a quality team drafting late in the draft. So have the Cincinnati Bengals, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and a number of other teams. And so when you look at tanking, tanking is the decision to lose. It is the decision for them to say, we want to lose, to aggressively decide to lose. They are not. The Browns are planning. The Browns are building. The Browns are realistic about the team that they have, but they're not tanking. They're not trying to lose. The Browns are just aware that winning is an unlikely thing based on how their roster was when they got there and where it is now. It was unlikely for them to be able to win big. And so this is something unseen in Cleveland. It's something that the Jacksonville Jaguars did recently, the Oakland Raiders did recently. But the Browns, in all of their regime changes, really have tried to bring in players to win right away. Whether that's the Carlos Dansby's, Dante Whitner's, Paul Kruger's of the world, Dwayne Bowes, uh, all of the kind of the last couple experiences, the Browns have really tried to um, go between the building and the competing uh, and tried to walk that fine line, and they've just never been able to do it. You bring in veterans who want to win, want to play right away, along with some young guys who aren't ready to win, aren't ready to play right away, but need that time to develop. And you have just kind of a problem. This Browns organization has decided not to tank, but that winning right away would get in the way of winning big. And so uh, a good basketball example would be the Atlanta Hawks. The Hawks for years, and even currently, uh, have struggled being anything more than a very good team or a good team. You know, they would get an, an eighth seed, a fifth seed, a fourth seed. Even a couple years ago when they got the top seed uh, in the NBA or in the Eastern Conference, no one really believed they were able to compete for an NBA title. They were missing that top level player to really compete at that level, which is why the 76ers have been tanking. They have been trying to lose. They think now that's worked out with Ben Simmons kind of being the centerpiece to go along with Nerlens Noel and Joel Embiid. The Browns are doing, aren't doing that. The Browns want to build through the draft, but they trust their developmental process. They trust their coaches. They trust their front office to get things done, but they're not trying to lose. They're just realistic about can they be a championship-level team without allowing their young players, their rookies, to develop. And so if they would have continued, if they would have signed a bunch of veterans to kind of be stopgap measures, they wouldn't have had time to develop their young guys, get them playing time, those kind of things. And so the Browns, unlike the 76ers, aren't trying to lose. They're trying to win long-term. They're trying to build a foundation for their team so that they're not the Atlanta Hawks. So they're not a team who has some good players here and there. The Bengals are a great example of a team that has some very good players 
They have the A.J. Greens of the world. They've had some very good players on the defensive line, including Geno Atkins and, and a variety of other players, and just have not been able to get over to the top. Some blame Andy Dalton. Some blame Marvin Lewis. But the reality is the Bengals just have not been able to get over the top for whatever reason. And the Browns don't want to be the Bengals. While they like the Bengals' speed, they like that they've made the playoffs, all of those things are good. In sports, as in life, oftentimes being good gets in the way of being great. And the Browns are just not willing to only be good and get in the way of being great. And so they've made a decision organizationally to build a foundation. There are 14 draft picks. 13 of them have made the team. Trey Caldwell is now on the practice squad. That's not tanking. That's building a roster of very, very good players who are ready to play right away, but not ready to win right away. If they were tanking, a player like Jalen Smith would have made a lot of sense, someone who's most likely going to sit out a full year because of injury, but could have been a top five pick. If they were tanking, the Browns would have taken someone like Jalen Smith, stashed him away for a year, much like the Sixers did with Dario Saric, uh, who played overseas for the last couple seasons. That's not what the Browns are doing. They identified players that they like. They identified qualities that they like. They are not tanking for tanking purposes. The Browns are just very aware that it'd be tough to win this season. And that next season is a season they hope to start winning more games. And the following season is when they expect to really be good based on the developmental curve of their young players. Right now, the Bengals, the Steelers, the Ravens uh, in the AFC North are far better. And then you have other AFC teams who have just are far uh, outdistanced the Brown when it comes to both talent and ability to compete uh, both for a playoff spot and later for a championship. The Browns are not tanking no matter what anyone wants to say. They're not trying to lose. Based on Hugh Jackson and his desire to win and, and some of his schemes, it wouldn't shock many if he wins far more games than we expect, far more games than his talent should allow. Because Hugh Jackson really does want to win. He expects to win. And that's just not a slogan. That is how Hugh Jackson has uh, attacked this offseason, uh, attacked this team, and decided to move forward with the Cleveland Browns. And so the Browns are not tanking. The reality is, as many fans have no reason to trust this Browns organization, this new regime, because every regime before has failed. But I can clearly say that none of them have gone to these extremes to rebuild a roster. All of them have brought in some kind of stopgap measures to try to win some games, but have taken away snaps from their players. And so the Browns are not tanking Cleveland. The Browns are looking to win long term and they want to win big. So just in our last minute before we get into our listen up, tune in and click on segment, as we look to prepare for the Eagles, there's going to be a lot of interesting things uh, to look at. Carson Wentz, the rookie who really hasn't had any time with the team, is going to be taking the snaps. And so Ray Horton with his pressure defense uh, with Carl Nassib and Emmanuel Agba, Tyrone Holmes now coming off the edge, uh, Joe Schobert, even Christian Kirksey. It'll be interesting to see uh, defensively at the Browns, pressure, 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 try to stop the run through their pressure and see how many hits they can can get onto the rookie Carson Wentz. Offensively, Hugh Jackson is caught between where he said he wanted to be and the talent that he has on the roster. Uh, where he said he wanted to be was a power run game uh, focused on Isaiah Crowell and Duke Johnson. What we've seen in the preseason is that the Browns' talent really lies in that big play, deep uh, offense with Corey Coleman, 
Terrell Pryor, Gary Barnage, Rashard Higgins, Ricardo Lewis. All of those guys can make some really big plays in the passing game. But that's kind of the opposite of what uh, Jackson has said he wanted to do. And so it'll be interesting to see offensively, how do they look to attack the Eagles? Do they want to protect Robert Griffin and take their time developing kind of a chemistry with the offensive line and not risk uh, Griff's injury history uh, coming up again? Or do they see the talent of Pryor Coleman and the rest of the guys and just decide to air it out, knowing that means the defense is going to be on the field a lot longer uh, and could put them at the risk for a blowout game and, and maybe a failure to really build any confidence and continuity offensively. So as we go through the rest of the week, we'll really break down some of some of those matchups, some of the things that we're scared about from the Eagles, some of their weaknesses as we prepare for Sunday's week one kickoff at 1 p.m. And we finish up with our listen up, tune in and click on segment that we do every week or every session every podcast for you here. Just want to connect you to a few things that we think you should tune into. Um, and so the listen up, uh, I'll, I'll push always Adam Williamson's Locked on NFL, especially for those of you who just like the NFL, uh, maybe even for fantasy reasons, want to check in on what's going on. Check on the Locked on NFL podcast um, for a lot of great information there. Turin Davenport is our Locked on Eagles guy. And so real nice guy, a lot of great information lot of inside sources so as we prepare for the Browns to play the Eagles he's preparing for the Eagles to play the Browns check in with Turin see what he's got going on on his Locked On Eagles podcast and then as always Chris Manning the Locked On Cavaliers podcast as the Cavs look to start their their preseason uh, in the near future have their media day coming up Chris does a great job covering the Cavs for Fear the Sword uh, and just an overall good guy so check him out tune in uh, there's not a lot of football going on right now on Tuesday night so Tonight, 7-10, Cleveland Indians play the Houston Astros. Tune in. They lost last night, but they won six before that, and they're fighting for the number one uh, spot uh, in the American League. And so the Indians are an exciting bunch, uh, definitely a team that we can get behind, not just because they win, but how they win. Just a really exciting team with Francisco Linder, some great pitching, Lonnie Chisenhall and Jason Kipnis and a variety of other players uh, that just come and play baseball the right way. So check them out. And that is our tune in. And then finally, our click on. If you haven't already, Mike Silver of the NFL Network has a great piece from Hugh Jackson. So if you don't know, Hugh Jackson and Mike Silver are great friends. And so Mike uh, Silver does, did a great piece on Jackson's first uh, few uh, days, months uh, with the Browns and what was going on there with Jackson being sick and decisions they made in free agency and uh, all kinds of stuff. So just some great inside stuff there from Mike Silver. And then I'll just have to get a shout out uh, to uh, where I got my start. And so as a part of the fan-sided network, uh, factoryofsadness.co, so .co, factoryofsadness.co, covers all things Browns, Cavs, Indians, and the Ohio State Buckeyes. So make sure you check them out. They've done a great job. Uh, Turn that over to my buddy Nick, uh, and he's brought in Ryan. They just do a great job of, of bringing a variety of coverage of our favorite teams. And so that is our listen up the locked in NFL podcast and the locked on Eagles podcast for the NFL and the locked on Cavaliers with Chris Manning tune into the Indians 710 first pitch and click on Mike Silver's piece on the NFL.com and factory of sadness.co. My name is Jared Mueller. You can follow me at Jared K Mueller on Twitter. You can also see all of my Browns writing at the OBR.com. And look forward to our Locked On podcast number five 
That'll be coming out tomorrow as we prepare for the Eagles game. Thanks for stopping in, and go Browns.